Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, who actually struggled to look at the beautiful game at all last Sunday, Kieran. A lot of complaints in the colourblind community that it was impossible for you people to tell Liverpool and Man U apart. Well, it, it was. I mean, it, it was uh, it was trailed as the biggest match uh, in in the season because they were first and third respectively. Uh, Sky actually got their highest ever ratings for a match being shown. Clearly, it helps having the the whole of the country locked indoors. <laughs> so, so, so there were some positives. You, you sat down, um, and uh, yeah, if you are colourblind, that was it. Red, red and green is is an absolute nightmare. So, uh, I. I, I put up something on Twitter just as a whinge. Yeah. That got picked up by quite a few organisations. It ended up on the likes of ESPN and the BBC. So then I was contacted by the Premier League to say, well, there are there are protocols. Um, and I, I dropped a line to Manchester United, again, just as a whinge. Um, and, and to be fair to Manchester United, they have been in contact. In fact, they phoned up and said, uh, well, we did make a... A, a sort of change in the sense that we were supposed to be playing in green socks and we played in white socks. I said, uh, yeah, it's it, it helped a little bit. And the only other thing I could work out was Paul Pogba because of his haircut, because huh. he's got that, uh, you know, he's got that fairly jazzy haircut. And other than that, it it was a struggle. And, and after half an hour, I, I, I said to the Baroness, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and, and I turned over, or I went onto Netflix, and, and I watched. Uh, I watched the, the, the man who's always guaranteed to cheer me up is Bill Nye. So, yeah. so I watched. Uh, I watched Pride, which was an absolutely fantastic film about uh, a group of uh, a group of gay people in in the early eighties who decided to financially support the miners in Wales, and they went to Wales, and it was how have they overcome sort of the the barriers uh, on a one to one basis and a community basis. Um, and it was one of those incredibly uplifting films. So, so by all accounts, I probably did okay because I understand the match was a bit of a turkey. Yes, I, I, I know some of the people involved in making the film and some of the people who were there uh, back in the 80s when the actual story happened. And, of course, Bill Nye is a Palace fan, so what else would you expect other than to be overjoyed by Bill Nye? Just on, on this situation, Kieran, because it is I mean, it's something that people laugh about. I mean, we... I remember the, Brian Moore of blessed memory, my favourite broadcaster back in the black and white days when I think it was Man United playing Everton. He said, for those of you struggling, Everton are kicking from left to right, which didn't really help. But <laughs> how, how many people are you talking about, Kieran, who have paid for Sky 
and can't actually watch it because they're colourblind. Well, nine percent of men are colorblind. There's hardly any women because oh, of okay. because of the way our chromosomes work. Men have oh. got two X chromosomes, and uh, women have got an X and a Y chromosome. So it's, it's, it's all connected to that. So, so it is is a much higher number. And I appreciate on the scale of afflictions to have, it's it, it's it's hardly twitching the meter. Um, but the, the other good thing that Manchester United said today was that there will not be a problem this weekend because, of course, Manchester United are playing uh, Liverpool again. So so they're aware of it as being an issue. Um, and uh, going forwards, they're, they're confident that uh, it, it won't be a problem. Uh, it, it's happened on a few other matches. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's even worse for rugby because I've given up watching Wales versus, versus Ireland. Yeah. Because you know, that is red shirts and white shorts versus green shirts and white shorts and... You, you, you haven't got you haven't got the, you haven't got the foggiest. I mean, not not that you ever go to watch rugby to watch rugby, of course. Yeah, I, I explained to. Yeah, of course you don't. Yeah, of course you can't see the ball for a start. Off. What sports sort or of sport is it when you can't see the ball half the game? I, I explained to Ali your problem with the the Man United Liverpool game and said Kieran's colour blind, and she just went, "Yeah, of course he is." Um, so you see me dressed. She, maybe that's what it is. Um, I, I in an attempt to take this. Seriously, Kieran, I think it does need to be taken seriously if if there are that many people who are colourblind uh, who have actually paid to watch the games, who have subscriptions to Sky or BT. I spoke to somebody uh, who was very senior in television broadcasting and is happy to help us uh, on request. Uh, and he said broadcasters, it's in their remit, it's in the contract, broadcasters can actually ch- ask for a change of kit. It's not just the referee who decides that it's a colour clash. Broadcasters can say that this there's a colour clash, we don't like it. He said, but obviously, for the most part, the needs of the colourblind, as you say, are very low down their, their priority. So maybe this will move it up a bit. And let, let's face it, Kieran, with the, the, the amount of kits clubs have, there is absolutely no excuse for any kind of colour clash at all, to be perfectly honest, yeah. is there? Yeah. And, and yeah. remember, Manchester United have got that unusual sort of squash zebra kit in in white and black which would have been absolutely perfect from a uh, from a color clash perspective so it's not as if they didn't have but that their argument was that that they actually planned things weeks in advance and they only got the the call from the premier league uh, relatively shortly before the match mm. uh, so so it was it was already you know, they, they'd already gone through with with their protocols and you know presumably there's things to do with cleaning the kits and making sure right sizes and and they're not the off-the-shelf stuff that we get from from our local sports store so yeah uh, yeah it's it's done it's gone and uh i don't think it's gonna happen again yeah i have friends who work at sky um and i admire the way sky cover football but the cynical part of me does really enjoy it when a game that they've plugged for weeks as being the game of the season turns out to be a shocking, terrible, dull, boring game. There's a slight element of uh, uh, schadenfreude. Was that? I was trying to think of, is there a German word for schadenfreude? actually went through my head then. Um, we have a lot of news stories today, Kieran. Oh it's boy, do we have a lot of news do. stories. And, and some of these are stories that are held over from last Sunday's pod, mainly because a certain white-shirted team from the East Midlands unexpectedly took up half the questions. <laughs> um, oh, sod it, Kieran. Should we, should we get that bit out of the way first? Is there any more news from that quarter, knowing full well that there is? Uh, yes, there, there's there's two stories in, in relation to uh, Derby County, and we genuinely are so looking forward to the day when they've not been on the show for a month. Yeah. But um, the, the first story is in relation to the takeover, 
Um, it, it was first sort of indicated it was taking place in November. Then it was going to be finished before Christmas uh, and then sort of talks. The money's in place. Uh, there need to be some checks for money laundering and so on. Um, and we're now, you know, 20, 20th of January and, and nothing's gone forwards. So there was a there was a story in one of the papers in the last couple of days is the club is now starting to make contingency plans along yeah. the lines of this deal might not go ahead. Um, I've, I've been talking to some people in the northeast in relation to Newcastle. The prospective owner was at one point linked with the Newcastle takeover um, and the viewpoint from the people I've spoken to in Newcastle is they were never convinced that uh, he was all, all he claimed to be. Uh, the the claims of very close links with Sheikh Mansour of Abu Dhabi seem to be a little bit tenuous. So th- there, there's a genuine danger that this deal could fall through. The wages haven't been paid still. So that's, that's dragging on. Um, and then to make matters worse... Uh, people may recall from from some time ago when uh, three Derby players were involved in a in a car crash. Yeah. Um, when the I think it's fair to say the driver may have had a shandy. Yeah. Um, or two. And Richard Keogh, the the club captain, um, he was in the back of the car. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Again, he, he had a few. He, he doesn't drive. Um, he he was involved in the crash and he he was injured quite badly. He, that, that wrecked his cruciates. Yeah. And uh, the other two players ran away, which isn't exactly part. The part of the, the purpose of the evening was team building. Yeah. So, mm. so to run away from your captain when he's you know injured in the back of a car suggests that that, pro- that project didn't work particularly well. Um, Derby then uh, accused Richard Keogh of gross misconduct, mm. but not the two people in the front of the car, um, on, on the grounds that he was quite old and, and therefore they couldn't recover a, a transfer fee from him. Yeah. And they found him guilty of uh, gross misconduct. I believe that was upheld by the EFL, but it's now gone to some form of tribunal and it appears that Richard Keogh is going to be getting a settlement of around about £2.1 million. So to add to all of... Derby's present woes they've they've got now find another two million quid they are going to appeal so you know never say never um and, and as we know only too well the only genuine winners out of this are going to be our silver tongue friends in in the legal profession if 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 it's been you know to if it's been an internal hearing an EFL hearing now another tribunal and now an appeal um, so it's been dragging on, um, but you, you, you've got to feel for the fans. Uh, they just want to concentrate on on getting back. The Wayne Rooney's now the manager. They won the other night. They beat Bournemouth. You know, all, all are lots of positives, and then this news seeps through as well. Yeah, the, the problem with that Richard Keogh thing is, you know, my background in a long, long time ago in HR, and I still know people who who practice it. They'll get it right one day. Hey, hey. Um, but. That was clearly badly handled at the time, that Richard Keogh situation. And I remember talking to somebody who said this will come back big time. And the, the problem is, it, if there are still other prospective buyers out there, it just doesn't look good, does it? If, you, if that's a sort of, when you're doing your due diligence or investigating a club you might want to buy, it doesn't, it's a sort of thing that doesn't look good. But as you say, this is going to run and run, but you know, slightly better news on the pitch, which is brilliant. Um Kieran, you've been looking at some numbers, which is what you do. It's how you roll. Um, these are big numbers, big Premier League numbers around loans, aren't they? Yes. Um, 
football has uh, has taken a, a bit of a beating, I think, from a number of sources, and and it's an easy target. And and one of those is that there's there's loads of money in the game. The players t- should take pay cuts. The Premier League should bail out everybody else in football, and so on. So um, I, I can't. Some somebody mentioned it to me. Does the Premier League owe any money itself? So that gave me an opportunity to dive into a spreadsheet. Um, the Premier League has outstanding loans of over four billion pounds, wow. and on top of that, it owes about another one and a half billion in terms of outstanding transfer fees. So, so the total debts, football low and football and loans, is, is over five billion pounds. And, and I know you know there, there reaches a point where there's so many zeros after a number that it, it's difficult to get a real feel for it. But it is indicative that the football industry um, is like others. It, it uses debt, and there's nothing wrong with debt. Yeah. But the, the the common perception that the game is awash with cash simply isn't the case. Some of those loans are from club owners. So, you know, Roman Abramovich, he, he's owed about £1.3 billion by Chelsea. He's not going to ask for his money back. He'll, he'll get his money back if he ever chooses to sell the club. He doesn't charge interest. So, yes, it's a loan, but... No, it's not actually a problem. Um, we, we've got other owners. E- even Mike Ashley is, is owed £111 million by Newcastle United. But for all his his, his pantomime villain faults, and, and you know, Mike Ashley is, has not been a good owner uh, for Newcastle. He's, he's, not, he's probably not been the worst owner of all time either in, in terms of football. Um, he's not charged interest. But then you've got the likes of David Gold and David Sullivan at West Ham, who who have made around about eighteen million pounds in interest from their involvement with the club. So yeah, there's, there's good and bad, and, and there's there's still, of course, um, non-owner debt as well of over two billion pounds. Um, the majority of that is is Spurs and Manchester United, but uh, even so. It's it's not great, and of course Arsenal have borrowed 120 million pounds from the Bank of England last week uh, themselves. Although you know, the people say, "Well, football clubs shouldn't be doing that," I, I go, "Well, why shouldn't they?" You know, if if if, uh, if if lampshade manufacturing companies can do it, and financial services companies can do it, and then then why not football clubs? Because they're having to operate uh, in an environment where where they can't earn money through the turnstiles, but they've still got the costs of of running the club. Yeah, it, it sometimes seems odd to think of them as loans, Kieran. When you, as you say, so many of them will never be called in. And so many of them are at such low interest that they, it doesn't seem to have the same sort of threat. Most other people, when you talk about another business, a lampshade company, for example, getting a massive loan, you, the antennae goes and you think, oh, crikey, that's not a good sound. But for football clubs, it just seems a basic tenet of business. And I, I assume when you say the Premier League owes that much money, that's every, there are no clubs that don't own money. It's every single club owns a certain amount of that money, presumably. Um, no, I think, uh, I think Villa owe nothing. Oh, really? uh, in, oh, okay. oh, in, because... Because Villa were in in a horrendous state prior to uh, their their most recent takeover. When they first of all, they had a, a guy called uh, Randy Lerner, which yeah. is a fantastic name for, yeah. for any uh, particular businessman. Um, he walked away one hundred and fifty pound, one hundred and fifty million pounds lighter. Villa cost him a fortune. Then there was Doctor Tony G, who who ran up loads of debts. Um, and then Wes Edens and his partner have come in, and they've written off all of those debts. So, so Villa actually have no debt. Burnley had no debt 
until the the new owners came in a few weeks ago and and loaded it up with with borrowings to to fund the takeover. But it, it does very much vary by club to club. Okay, and what about West Brom? Do you know what their loans are? Because there's a takeover battle there now, isn't there? Well, uh, they they do owe a, a wee bit of money, not not significant. It looks as if there are um, three parties involved, uh, and this is a story from from Matt Hughes in the Mail that came out. And and the reason why my antennae got twitching was one of the prospective owners who who has been named is a guy called Mark Campbell. Now. If uh, I, of course, when I, when I get people's names, the first thing I do is I go to company's house. I start to do some background checks. Um, he's he's run, he's operated a lot of companies. Um, most of them have been dissolved. They include hairdressing companies and taxi companies. So you're not thinking, well, you know, is, is this person in a position to, to take over a 200 million pound football club? He's uh, he's also set up a company called Fenway Sports Capital. Um, here in the UK, which I think he's, he was going to use as his vehicle to make a takeover, he set that up with a hundred quid. So all of these things start to to get you a little bit concerned, and then you dig into the background. Uh, and I'm indebted here to the fans of Falkirk. And I don't think we've mentioned Falkirk before. Hello, Falkirk. No, hello, Falkirk. Indeed. Um, but uh, Mark Campbell at one stage was going to take over their club and and they did an investigation and they found that uh, his background wasn't quite as wealthy as he was made out then he was linked to Sunderland with a takeover there and we know that the owners have been desperate um and I spoke to one of the journalists who I know in the northeast and, and they said uh or three words Kieran proof of funds and and that's why the deal disappeared so it looks as if Perhaps he didn't have as much money. You know, he, he's based in New York at present. Uh, he's involved in real estate, uh, as they like to call it, or uh, being an estate agent, as we tend to call it over here, um, which doesn't sound as glamorous. It doesn't, does it? It, it doesn't sound as glamorous. So um, I think for West Brom's sake, uh, it's probably best that he doesn't get involved. I, th- I think he's now disappearing off the radar. But the uh, the present owner, uh, Lai Goat Guo Chan, apologies, Nigel Lee, our Hong Kong correspondent, will correct my pronunciation there. Yes. Um, he's, he's looking for around about uh, £200 million, but I think the biggest offer he's had to date is only 130 So whether he's going to get his money back, I think, is highly debatable. Uh, is it legal, Kieran, for him to call his company Fenway Sports Capital? I mean, there is there is obviously a well-known Fenway Sports Group already, isn't there? Yeah, Fenway Sports Group is based in Boston in the US. So um, there is a rule, uh, there's a legal rule of what's referred to as passing off. Yeah. Um, which isn't the same as, break, or as breaking off. Um, and um, that's when, by using a name, um, you are trying to uh, pretend to be somebody else. So, so if I set up a company called Kevin Day Limited, yeah. you could legitimately say, "Well, under the under the, the circumstances, you don't think that's appropriate because, as Kevin Day, um, you you might feel that people are trying to people might misinterpret how that company was run, and if it was run poorly, that that would have an impact upon your ability 
um, at, you know, to, it, it's sort of in the industry uh, in, in which you operate. So, so there are things that that uh, that can can be of concern, but it looks as if. Fenway Sports Capital is just about sufficiently different mm. to, to not deal with this issue of um, of passing off. I, I know uh, I, I know somebody that set up uh, CPFC twenty eighteen Limited, for example, um, and, and that got through. And, and you know, Palace are run by CPFC twenty ten. Mm. So you know, the, it, the the legal people don't tend to get involved un- unless there is any evidence of some form of attempted fraud or misrepresentation. Yeah, if Kevin Day Limited was run poorly, people would say, yeah, it's definitely his company. They would, they would be, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> passing off is an issue in our industry as well when you, you occasionally will sa- hear somebody on an advert doing a voiceover that sounds a little bit like Stephen Fry, but not enough like Stephen Fry for Stephen Fry to be able to say, hang on a second, that's not me. Because uh, you, you'll hear a lot of people's voices going, that's definitely clear boarding. It's not, but it's, it sounds <laughs> just different enough. Um, Southampton have switched kit manufacturers, which seems like odd timing, Kieran. Yes, yeah, sort of halfway through a season. And, and uh, people might recall that Southampton had big problems at the start of this season with their kit because their their sponsors just disappeared. They they just they just, yeah. uh, so so that had caused an issue. The sponsor the, the kit manufacturers are Under Armour, and and Under Armour um, they've not been having financial problems, but they've not been delivering the numbers that the market has expected. So by all accounts, they're having a major restructuring and they, they're they trying to pull out of team sports. So they're, they're doing this in the US. Um, Southampton were their, their main team here in the Premier League. So that they came to a mutual understanding because they, they'd signed a five-year contract. It still has two and a half years remaining. And uh, Hummel, are going to to take in, and I think that you know if you are a Southampton fan, you've probably got some romantic memories of Hummel kit from yeah. uh, days gone by when when Sir Matt was uh, was in his prime and pomp. Um, although I've never forgiven Matt Letizia that the first ever fantasy football league I was in, I was leading it last week of the season, and Matt Letizia scored a hat trick against Oldham, mm. and, and he cost me my first trophy, but. But I'll, I'm, I'm not bitter about it, you know, 25 years later, because I'm, I'm a grown-up. Yeah, well, you say that, but you're in a fantasy football league, Kieran, so there's an element of not being <laughs> a grown-up there, really. I'm, I'm, I'm not at home in the fantasy football league. I just, I'm the grumpy one in the office who just goes, can we get on some work now, really, rather than worrying about whether you made Wilf Sahar captain or not in your <laughs> fantasy football team. Um, I, 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 having said that, I, I, I quite like the Southampton kit this, this year, which is yeah, a throwback to the first ever kit. Yeah. It's a nice kit. And it, also playing uh, annoyingly good football because they're normally one of the teams you can bank on to be in and around the mid-table relegation. About I think we were both panicking, of, of, of which we're not talking. Of which we're not talking. Yeah, I think we were we were both panicking when West Brom equalised just a little bit. Um, two Manchester City stories, Kieran. Both of them, I have to say, a bit strange. Firstly, they've appointed a lead AI scientist. Yes, um, this, this is Manchester City appointing somebody called Laurie Shaw um, to look after their data science operation. And uh, you then look at this guy's background. He's got a PhD in computational astrophysics from Cambridge. Wow. He, he then developed a trading system for a hedge fund. He's been advising the government in, in terms of data analysis. Um, and he's currently lecturing at Harvard. 
So, you know, Jesus Christ, th- this guy is, is clearly got the brain the size of a planet. Yeah. Um, Does he need a presenter I, for a podcast at all? Well, yeah, I, I'll, 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 I'll try and contact him. <laughs> he will probably talk in words so long that we'll run out of space on the podcast before he finishes a sentence. Ah, yeah, but um, he'll, he'll tell you that space is a, a, an infinite... Oh, never mind, I couldn't think. I was trying to think of something impressively scientific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, carry on. But it, it, I think this does show the, the importance uh, of data science in, in respect of modern football. Um, I, I've said on more than one occasion, in, in my opinion, the existing teams at Manchester City, Leicester and Liverpool um, are the best three data analytical teams in the Premier League. And look at the Premier League table and where those clubs presently are. That's interesting. Um, and, and that does reflect it. And, and the whole point about data science, it's... It's all about identifying value. So looking at metrics in respect of football players, you're not necessarily going to get them cheap, but it's but it's if if a player is in the market for 30 million, is he actually worth 30 million? This is a way of, of working out where you can get relative bargains and where players are perhaps relatively overpriced. Clearly, it, it was very successful in, in baseball, although baseball is is a slightly simpler sport than football because it's slightly more you know cricket orientated it's, yeah. it's one person versus one to a degree uh, football is far more interlinked but it does show the di- the direction in which football is going and we've already mentioned burnley sort of in passing you know the, the burnley owners they believe that the way that they're going to make money out of burnley is through data science uh, my only concern is that Ultimately, there's a fixed number of footballers in the world. And if everybody's got the golden shot, the golden touch in identifying the talent, I, I can't see how how Burnley are going to be able to leapfrog over the likes of, of Manchester City and Leicester and Liverpool. Admittedly, that they're, they're probably fishing in a slightly uh, different pool in terms of price. But that that appears to be the the objectives of the new owners. And it'll be an interesting one to watch how that develops over the next few years. Yeah, although watching Man City Palace the other night, it did strike me that uh, perhaps somebody at Palace could do some data science and say, don't start a game against Man City with eight players over the age of 30. Might well, help. Probably don't start a match against Manchester City. That's a good is, point. Yeah, is, is probably uh, the way that they're playing at present. Yeah. Um. So, so that's 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 the first story. Yeah. So, uh, sorry. Before we data science is that is that a fancy word for Moneyball? Then, um, I, I think it's Moneyball squared. Okay, um, right. you know, Moneyball was uh, it, it was the start of of use of data here. If you think of the the changes and the improvements that we've made in terms of having the likes of Opta and, and uh, Statsbomb and so on uh, over the last decade, who are tracking so many more metrics uh, in terms of players than than has been done historically. Um, that that, that uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's Moneyball t- taken very much to the level. Sort of, it's a bit like four dimensional chess. Yeah. I, what, what? Okay. Um, yes. I, I interrupted you with that question, Kieran, because you were about to go on and say to yourself what the second question was. And we've had this conversation before, Kieran. The only thing I bring to this pod is asking the questions, essentially. So please don't take that away from me, Kieran, because otherwise people will see through the smoke and mirrors like the Wizard of Oz and go, <laughs> do you know what? This bloke, this bloke, Kieran, could do the whole pod himself. Um, 
the second, the second, the second, the second. I'm still laughing at uh, Jizz Cafe, by the way, which went down very well. With, uh, <laughs> yes, it did. Except Ali, of course, whose eyebrows just lifted ever so slightly, like Roger Moore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Man City, the second story. Uh, they've been accused of creating a fake job, a fake job for a young Brazilian player's dad, which I'm rather hoping that the fake job is leading AI scientist. But that would be, <laughs> I take it not though. Yeah, it's it's a very weird story here, and, and Manchester City have pushed back on this um, very firmly. Uh, to, as soon as I saw the words "fake Brazilian," uh, <laughs> that, that brought me back to Moscow, actually. But uh, but that's that's a separate issue. And um, this is all to do with uh, Gabriel Almeida, who uh, joined Manchester City in 2011, aged 14. So he was one of their academy players. Now under uh, under Premier League rules, you are not allowed to give inducements to either the the, the young person concerned or members of his family yeah. to try to attract him to the club. And by all accounts, Gabriel Almeida, uh, Spurs were interested, Sporting Lisbon were, were interested. Sporting, um, and sporting what? Sp- Sporting, I got half caught between sporting lesbian and sporting Lisbon. Uh, so, so I said sporting lesbian. It's just a little insight into what's going on in your head. Yes, I, I would support sporting lesbian if there was such a club. Let's go. Yes. Um, yeah, historically, there's always been very close links between Portugal and Brazil. Yeah, of course. So therefore, the, the attractions of going to to Lisbon m- must have been significant. And these accusations have been made by the player's father. Now, this this could involve an element of sour grapes. Um, he said, the father, he was offered a position as an academy scout. Um, he did absolutely no work, and, he, and he's been showing payslips. Uh, so yeah, if it was you or me, if somebody was paying me £1,000 a month for doing no work, I, I wouldn't be whinging to the press about it. I'd be keeping quiet about yeah, it. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, and he said that, that Manchester City, part of the reason why he, he didn't do any work was that Manchester City did ask him to attend two, uh, two courses, but they took place in English and on, he only speaks Portuguese. So you can understand he's a bit of a problem. Um, and you know, he, he, we're not talking megabucks here, but on, on a slightly more serious note, there, there is an ongoing issue with yeah. young players and the way that they are being and it's a horrible word to use harvested yeah. by some football clubs and, and you and you never know you know you know players players now we're seeing kids of three four five being invited along to academies and then the more you delve into things and, and the more background you do some of the stories don't reflect well on the clubs uh the the fa does have very strict rules but it looks as if, uh, you know, and this isn't a reference to Manchester City, there are clubs who are who are offering some form of financial inducements to to the families of these young men, um, and they go on to to sign for that club. Now that player could be worth, of course, you know, millions or tens of millions of, of pounds, and it and it's something we've we've mentioned on quite a few occasions. These, these are young men; they are not commodities. Mm. Unfortunately, they are being treated as nothing more than than pieces of inventory. And and that really is a cause for concern for me. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, 
You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. I, I couldn't agree more, Kieran, but there are older, cynical listeners of this show, hello, Martin, uh, who would say that this has been going on since time immemorial, to the extent that yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I, I love reading about football in the old days, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and you read about Brian Clough and managers like that, and uh, half their stories are about them turning up at, at young players' houses with presents for families and offers of jobs. So I mean, this and and over the period of time, it become it becomes a funny anecdote rather than the disgraceful story that it that it actually is. So this is nothing new. What's what's new is that the football authorities still don't seem to be able to get a handle on it and be able to prevent it, do they? Because the trouble is, again, being older and cynical, the, the parents don't particularly want the authorities to get a handle on it. They're only too happy to have the inducements, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, they'd argue you know, who's the losers. Yeah, you know, my son was going to go to a football club anyway. I've now received some form of financial benefit, um, but it does mean that potentially you have got parents, and and I've seen this at yeah, so at youth football level who see their talented child as a meal ticket. Yeah, um, and you know, love your kids for what they are for as long as they are what they are. Is my view. Um, yeah, that you don't you don't procreate to to make a make a payoff out of them in a few years' time. Well, it's occasionally in the back of your mind, isn't it? In the old, uh, uh, yes, well said, Kieran. I I agree heartedly. But if you could not say fake Brazilian again, because I don't think Manscaped would approve. To be perfectly honest, uh, Grimsby Town. We haven't really spoken about the virus for some time. Thank God. Uh, but Grimsby Town have become the first club to be fined for coronavirus safety breaches. Yes, um, and uh, th- this this goes back to last September. Um, Grimsby Town had some matches postponed uh, yeah. as as a result of COVID, <laughs> and the EFL did an investigation. And I think you've got to give some them some credit here. They they were they were not particularly comfortable by all accounts with uh, with the way that things happened. Um, and it looks as if the club had not been 
social distancing, had not been applying the rules. Um, there hadn't been sufficient self-isolation uh, initially, and, and that allowed things to potentially uh, worsen. Um, and I've, I've praised Ian Holloway on in the past. Here I've got to say I don't think Ian's played a blinder because apparently – he started arranging some darts matches right. between him and the players right. as, as, as a bonding and a training tool. Now, at a time when we are all supposed to be uh, social distancing, this this doesn't look too good. Um, there was car sharing as well. You know, again, yeah. you, you should be trying to <clears throat> minimise things of this nature. So the EFL have done an investigation. And, and, and the good thing from Grimsby's point of view is that the penalties have been financial rather than impacting the club upon the pitch because right. they're not having the greatest of seasons and, and they are towards the, the bottom end of, of League Two. Um, so they, they've had a, a fine of, of just under five grand. That's been suspended. Um, they've also had to pay the EFL's costs of the investigation, which was another 13 grand. And they've had to pay compensation to Cheltenham, Bradford and Hull, who were the three opponents who had the matches postponed and who'd had already made plans. So you know, it, it is costly. Uh, you know, we, we've got to take this serious in more ways than one. And uh, you know, darts matches, it, it, you know, it doesn't look clever. That that doesn't look clever. I, I quite agree. And in terms of the car share stuff, I mean, a Grimsby Town fan would, would point out that it's a lot easier for... Liverpool and Man United to get separate cars for the players or separate coaches for four or five players to go to games and it is for the likes of of Grimsby so you can understand where the odd cutting corner would come in financially but yes you're absolutely right darts games you know it's not a good look but it is obvious as well Kieran that the certainly in the Premier League the protocols are being observed far more strictly we know the Premier League uh basically slapped the wrist of every single club in the Premier League two weeks ago and said to stop goal celebrating, stop shaking hands after games, etc. And that clearly has. And judging by the amount of sarcastic get-away-from-me goal celebrations there have been in the Premier League, the players are not particularly happy about it. But they do seem to be... I thought James Madison's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And quite rightly so. Most of the players are sensible enough. They've got older vulnerable people at home as well so they do they do do it it's just that obviously the media will will find the one who doesn't do it rather than the yeah. 21 who, who do do it um and and luckily the last two rounds of testing in the premier league has shown that numbers are, are, are right down so the the talk about uh suspending football seems to have gone away but uh, on a similar note north of the border kieran kilmarnock and st mirren have won their appeals against point deduction for coronavirus breaches and failing to fulfill fixtures Yes, so uh, th- this was a ruling by the uh, by, by the Scottish authorities pre Christmas. Um, Kilmarnock and St Mirren um, had both had matches forfeited, so yeah, this was a significant penalty yeah. impacting them in terms of the table, and that has implications clearly for potentially for relegation, for prize money at the end of the season, and so on. Um, and their opposition were given uh, walkover results, and I think I think Motherwell were due to play both clubs. So Motherwell ended up with with an additional six points for doing nothing. Um, the, the two clubs have have put in an appeal, and as a result of that, the, the matches I believe are now going to be played uh, at some point in the season. And the initial fines for both clubs, which were forty thousand pounds, have been reduced by half. And again, half of that has been suspended on top of it. So uh, the, the clubs have said, yes, we could have done things better. They've held their hands up, but they felt that the initial 
the, the initial penalty was too harsh and, and the tribunal has agreed. Yeah, okay. Um, back to England, Kieran, for our last two stories. They're opposite ends of the financial scale and I I guess opposite ends of the seriousness scale as well. The the really serious story, um, the National League, there seems to be some confusion whether the recent bailout is actually a grant or a loan. Yeah, this is this is quite complex. I mean, the the, the DCMS via the, the the national lottery did give ten million pounds to clubs in the national league in October. Now that has been confirmed as a grant that that was that was deemed to be enough to allow the national league to continue for around about three months. Yeah. Then there is another eleven million pounds, which I think is due to come into play in February. And I think the the National League clubs initially thought that would be on similar terms. It subsequently turns out that that £11 million is going to be a loan from the government and therefore will be repayable. But if you think about a National League team... Um, they've got no, uh, they've got no match day income coming in. Yeah. They don't have a broadcast deal, which is worth even talking about. And all of their commercial partners have said, "Well, what, what's the point of sponsoring you, either at the ground or front of shirt, if if nobody's watching because people aren't attending the matches?" Um, you know, and there, there's, there's there is some streaming, but not very much. So the clubs are genuinely desperate for cash, and the the money which came in October. Uh, there have been huge issues uh, with regards to the distribution, and those are still rumbling yes, on. Indeed. We've covered those uh, have, in depth. Yeah. Um, but I, I was in contact with somebody from a National League side uh, in the last 24 hours, and I said, well, what's your take on this? And he says, well, as far as we're concerned, we, we, we'll never be in a position to repay the loan, so we want the season abandoned. But other clubs, especially those clubs, uh, who potentially are going to be promoted back to the EFL? Yeah, I think I think Hartlepool are up there and clubs of that nature. They'll be desperate to stay on. You see, I can understand their position, but there, there is now. I, th- I think unless the National League goes into some form of hibernation, uh, which will allow the clubs to furlough players and and put put itself into uh, you know minimizing uh, day to day costs, uh, if if the matches still go ahead. I think it's now going to be a very significant risk of more clubs going bust. Will this news have come as a surprise to these clubs, Kieran? Um, I, I guess as they've got, I think it's been so much bad blood within uh, the National League itself with regards to the first distribution that now that we're approaching February, they're starting to look at the next payment. Uh, and it was there going to be a bun fight over that? And somebody's realised. Jeepers Creepers, it, it's no longer a grant. It, it is in the form of a loan. Uh, and therefore, you know, if we've got no money coming in, how on earth can we be expected to have money going out? Yeah, uh, it comes back to something we've been discussing since the very first pod we did. I mean, you're talking about amounts of money that the toxic clubs in the Premier League could find down the back of a sofa, basically. But uh, what, what's your instinct as to how this one will play out, Kieran? Um. I think the National League will try to push through a continuation of the season. Now, if you take a look at the way that votes are organised, um, it's very very heavily weighted towards the teams in the National League itself as opposed to the teams in National League North and South. Right. So 
if there are sufficient teams in the National League who feel that they've got a chance of promotion, and remember the playoffs in the National League, you know, they, they go down a fair way in the table, uh, it could be that that will force things through. And then if there is a threat of a points-per-game settlement, uh, again, those clubs towards the bottom of the division who don't want to drop into National League North and South, they've got an incentive to play on as well. Mm. So... It's it's going to be nasty. That's that's all we know for sure. And there's there's already uh, an awful lot of bad feeling uh, within that particular uh, part of uh, English football at present. Yeah, and you you also worry that, and I very rarely get to use the expression "silver tongue friends," but you also think that somewhere along the line they're going to get involved as well, don't you? Yes, because um, I think clubs will will say that they are in danger of substantial financial penalties or you know financial losses if if the matches go ahead and it's not being done in their best interest it's being in the best interests of others so um somebody will be phoning up a lawyer and saying well, where do we stand in respect of all this yeah uh, finally Kieran, a story which i think is refreshingly old school remember a couple of stories ago we talked about you know, the old days and things going on since time immemorial. This is the mysterious non-appearance of Robert Snodgrass for West Brom against West Ham uh, this week. Yes, this, this is uh, th- this is another classic comment from, from Big. I mean, he's, he's been an absolute minefield for this programme. He's only been in place since December the 16th. Um, when the when the West Bromwich Albion team was announced, people looked down and, and Snodgrass had played very well for them um, at the weekend when they won 3-2 at Wolves. So people looked down and said, well, he's not in the team. He's not, he's not even on the bench. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, then Sam Allardyce revealed that as part of the the agreement for, for Robert Snodgrass being transferred from West Ham to, to West Bromwich Albion, that um, he he wouldn't play in this match. Now, that is in breach of, of Premier League rules, which says, well, and FA rules, which says effectively, in the result of a, a final transfer, the selling club has no influence over what the player does in terms of his relationship with his new employer. Um, I think Big Sam then realised when this was pointed out to him, he was trying to walk back and David Moyes was sort of doing a, a, a meerkat impersonation, just looking very <laughs> wide eyed and say, well, it's all, it's all news to me. Um, so uh, I, I can see that the Premier League launching some form of investigation. Uh, whether this will null and void the transfer in due course, we, we don't know. Where this leaves Robert Snodgrass in, in terms of uh, West Brom's next match, I don't think they've got a match this weekend because they were knocked out of the, the, uh, the FA Cup yeah. a couple of weeks ago. So, it, But uh, it, it, it is messy and, and it, it is indicative. If you've, you've got to follow the rules in football. You, know, you, you and I are both old enough to remember uh, things like FA Cup matches being... Uh, to, uh, results being overturned when an unregistered player, normally in a non-league team, um, turned out to have played for the club and therefore he wasn't eligible. Uh, it, it would be, you know, and, and as much as you know, as a as a Brighton fan who's in a relegation fight, I would not want West Brom to have any sanction in terms of what happens on the pitch um, as a result of this. If, if it was a mistake, it was a. I suspect it was an honest mistake, um, but. 
you know, paperwork issues should not dictate or determine uh, what what football happens in in terms of the ninety minutes. Well. D- I mean, it sounds like a, a funny story on a face of it. It sounds like one of those stories that if you read it in those books from the 70s, uh, talking about earlier ago, oh, yeah, of course, uh, raise your eyebrows. But there are potential ramifications. I mean, first of all, the sensible thing to do would have been just to say, he's got a knock, he can't play today. And, and magically, he'll be fit. We've, we're not playing in the FA Cup. He will be fit for the next game. And then the sensible thing to do once you're caught out on that would have been to say, oh, no, 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 it's just a word of mouth thing. It's, it was foolish. We shouldn't have agreed it. It was a handshake. But I've, I spoke to a lawyer as well. If, if this is in the contract, this, one of these clubs could be in, in trouble. And it could be – I doubt very much if it is. I mean, the legal person I spoke to said it, they would be mad if, they, if it's in the contract. Uh, but you would you would guess West Ham, if West Ham insisted on it, they would be the club that get sanctioned. I'd, I'd, from what I can gather, the research I've done and the people I've spoken to, it, it's a serious issue that doesn't carry much of a serious charge. But – Again, it's an odd one that it became so so public, isn't it? Really, and yeah, it's just like I say, it's it's oddly old school. But you, you know, there are issues involved. I mean, especially you know, the other clubs around West Brom who are in the relegation battle. I imagine would be absolutely furious that they weren't able to field a full side last night. Um. Well, well yes, no. It, it weakened West Brom, didn't it? Yeah, so, it did. Yeah. Um, so for, for the other for the other relegation sides are probably relieved, uh, but, oh, yes, but West yeah, Ham, yeah, 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 yeah. West Ham are now potentially going to have a yeah, they're pitching for a Europa League place. So you know the, the other clubs around that you know fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, uh, you can see them being hacked off, um, and and a verbal contract is still a contract. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I was I was. Uh, so bemused at occupying the moral high ground there for a second. I forgot which club were going to be upset by which was going on. Um, we end, Kieran, with a clarification, which I, I'm not entirely sure. I'd, I'd, I said this was a worldwide issue, but uh, I'm happy to stay this. Um, remember we talked about Peckham Town recently? Uh, oh, yes. Yes, you remember that? Oh, uh, yes. With their brilliant nickname. And I, I said that we believed that Mary Phillip of Peckham Town uh, had become the first woman manager to coach a men's team to a senior trophy when they won the London FA Trophy last year. However, uh, Nigel Lee gets another mention. Our esteemed Hong Kong correspondent has been in touch to say that Chan Yun Ting coached the Eastern football team in Hong Kong to a, a senior title in 2016. So I'm very happy to set that record straight. Uh, unless, of course, anybody listening out there knows of a female manager who did that achievement before even Chen Yun Ting. Uh, Did, didn't Cherry Lungi do it in the gov in the oh that's say the governess there the, but the in the in the manageress. See again sporting lesbian governess. These are all <laughs> think before you speak sometimes, Kieran. <laughs> she did. I don't. I don't remember that. Yes, I do remember it. But yeah, I, I do remember the people going a female manager of a male football team. That will never happen. Uh, she was bad. I've watched. <laughs> don't ask me why, but I've, for research, I've been watching old episodes of Death in Paradise. I reckon Cherry Luggie's in about four of them. Um, right. Yeah, probably married to the casting director. I don't know. And if she's not, I apologise before Guy says, you've got to apologise next week for implying that Cherry Luggie was married to the casting director. Uh, yes, if you do <laughs> if you do know, yeah, we need to end this pod now, Kieran, don't we, before we tie ourselves into even more knots. Uh, <laughs> not those sort of knots, Kieran. Um, if you do know of a female manager who, even before Chen Yun Ting, 
coached a, a men's football team, please let us know and we'll be happy to clarify further. Email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you have any questions for our uh, next pod on any aspect of football finance, please also email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. In the meantime, uh, Guy tells us, Kieran, in one of his rare missives, that there's a storm coming our way, so we have to batten down the hatches. So, uh, which is it's very it's very random the things that guy gets in touch with us about. You, you get an email from guy, you think, "Hello, some more money's turned up." You say, "No, it's very windy and it's heading your way." So, like, oh, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll tell Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> have you got any, have you got the wind? Have you got the wind so far, Kieran? Uh, it was bad last night. It's okay today. Oh. Uh, me and Finley, we've, we've been out uh, one or two trees uh, a bit sideways, but other than that, all okay. All okay. Good. How's his squeaky chipmunk? Uh, well, his, his squeaky chipmunk is, has been put away in his in his toy drawer. <laughs> we, 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 we run a professional outfit, me and you, Kevin. Yeah, and that, that's what that, that is the general perception, of course. Yeah, I once asked the Baroness about that, and she said, "Yeah, I'll put it away in his toy drawer." In my, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll leave. I'll, <laughs> we really do need to end this. I, I, I imagine twenty thousand people have already ended it for us, Kieran. But for those twenty thousand left, uh, perhaps you'd like to say goodbye. Uh, yeah, well, once again, folks, thank you for the support. If, if you're enjoying the show, why not go and press that that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you could leave us a review, a five-star review, uh, it, it it makes big changes. I mean, a producer guy says it helps keep us uh, keep us up the table, which helps us when we're when we're phoning up people asking for guests and they go, well, we've never heard of you. And we can say, well, hey, look, we're number 67 in Azerbaijan's top 100 in podcast this week. So take that. Um, it doesn't matter what you say in the uh, in, in the reviews. It's, it's just you give us the five stars. That makes a difference. You could say the show would be so much better if it was presented by Donald Trump, who presently appears to be unemployed, and Susie Sue of Susie of the Banshees. I think that would make a fantastic pairing. Um, you can write whatever you want. Me and Kevin, our egos can cope with it. Uh, and apart from that, for heaven's sake, just look after yourselves. We, we've we've turned a corner with this horrendous disease in terms of the vaccination. Let's let's all keep indoors until we really got it uh, on the run. Yep. Never mind Azerbaijan, still number one in Dominica. Thank you, Dominica. I'm for the